Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The second hour of this year program. I am glad you're with me. The phone number, should you wish to be at the part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Look, I got to talk about this real quick. Uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial is going on and that prosecutor is a disaster. My goodness gracious, the prosecutor is out of his league. The prosecutor has been lecturing Kyle Rittenhouse on why he didn't use hollow point bullets and claimed that uh, the the full metal jacket, non-hollow point bullets are designed to go further and to cause more havoc. And the judge himself had to intervene and stop and correct the prosecutor and tell him to cut it out. And when the prosecutor admonished the judge that no evidence had been entered about the bullets in the trial, the judge replied, you're doing it right now and you're wrong. For the record, the judge is a Democratic appointed prosecutor who became a judge. I realize he's white, but... That'll be disqualifying for some people on the left. The judge is not a conservative, nor is he a Republican. And it looks like Kyle Rittenhouse is probably going to be found not guilty within 30 seconds. This prosecutor is so out of his depth in this trial. Nonetheless, I move on. This is not a a court TV show. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm monitoring it. I'll bring you the revelations. But right now, we got other stuff to talk about. Is your road or bridge racist? You know, there's a a thing some people do, and Pete Buttigieg has always been one of the most notorious culprits of this. You read a book that everyone loves, and then you grab a couple of nuggets out of that book, and you drop them on the cocktail party circuit as if you're the smart person in the room. There is a book about Robert Moses called The Power Broker. It is Robert Caro's biography of Robert Moses. Caro is a brilliant writer. This book is considered one of the top 100 biographies ever written. It won a Pulitzer Prize, and it contains an anecdote that Robert Moses, when he built the highways and bridges around New York City, Robert Moses, for those of you who don't know, was essentially the czar of transportation for New York City. He laid out the whole place. A lot of the designs in New York, from the subway to the bridges to the parkways to the tunnels, Robert Moses deserved a ton of credit for. He constructed playgrounds and sports fields and pools. He built uh, housing developments for the poor. He did all sorts of stuff. But one of the anecdotes for the book, and, and Robert Moses, by the way, there's no denying he was racist. He was a racist. But one of the things that Robert Caro says in his book about Robert Moses is that he intentionally designed bridges and roadways to make it difficult for black and Puerto Rican residents of New York to get to certain parts of the city, and in particular, white-populated beaches. 
And it's in the book. Now, if you read the book, you get the evolution of Moses. And the book is all about how power corrupts. And it certainly corrupted Robert Moses at one point in his career, more powerful than either the governor or the mayor of New York. But it's also a highly now disputed anecdote in the book. And further, if you read the rest of the book, uh, you, you get the sense that Moses was more complicated than just your, your run-of-the-mill racist. And there are a lot of people since the book was published who have come out and said this actually isn't true. The reason the bridges on the parkways were lower was to dissuade the uses of any bus. They were parkways. They were scenic byways to route a whole lot of traffic very quickly, a whole lot of cars very quickly while avoiding the city blight on the tour. The bridges were low so that 18-wheelers and buses could not use those. Only cars could use them. had nothing to do with race. And in fact, a Jones Beach in the New York City area, the white beach that Robert Moses supposedly wanted to keep black people from, had trains and subways where the black people could get on and go. They just didn't. To this day, it's not a beach that is, is commonly used by non-white people. Let me, I will read you part of the passage here in question. Moses began to limit access by buses. He instructed Shapiro to build the bridges across his new parkways low, too low for buses to pass. Bus trips, therefore, had to be made on local roads, making the trips discouragingly long and arduous. For black people who he considered inherently dirty, there were few further measures. Buses needed permits to interstate parks. Buses chartered by black groups found it very difficult to obtain permits, especially to Moses' beloved Jones Beach. Most were shunted off to parks many miles further on Long Island. And even in those parks, buses carrying black groups were discouraged from using white beach areas, the best beaches, by a system Shapiro called flagging. The handful of black lifeguards, there were only a handful of black employees among the thousands employed by the Long Island State Park Commission, were all stationed at distant, less developed beaches. Moses was convinced that blacks did not like cold water. The temperature of the pool at Jones Beach was deliberately icy to keep black people out. When then-Governor Franklin Delano Roosevelt generally raised the issue of the treatment of black Americans to Robert Moses, Robert Carroll writes that Moses put him off and FDR never raised it again. Now, the Shapiro reference I'm reading now for the Washington Post, where even the fact-checkers are coming after Pete Buttigieg. Shapiro was Sidney Shapiro, a close Moses associate and former chief engineer and general manager of the Long Island State Park Commission. He was a major source for Caro. The source notes that Shapiro granted 100 hours of interviews with Caro with the understanding that nothing could be used unless he died. In the end notes, Shapiro was listed as the only source for the order to keep the bridges low. But there are problems. Further history has revealed that this wasn't the reason why. A lot of the reason was that it was impossible to have the bridges higher given the geography and landscape. Berwin George, a German professor of sociology, examined the saga and wrote about it 
and said this couldn't be true. Kenneth Jackson, a Columbia University historian, said generations of his students have failed to be able to confirm it. And others, Thomas Campanella, Cornell University historian of city planning, looked into the issue and said it just couldn't be so. It's just not true. The bridges were made low because of geography, typography, and because Moses actually did want to keep all buses off the parkways and have them focused on cars. But Pete Buttigieg read this in the Carroll book. The Carroll book is well-known Pulitzer Prize winning one of the top 100 uh, biographies and just embraced it without questioning it. It has been well disputed and, and debunked since then. Even the fact checkers are saying, nah, this really isn't most likely so. But I want you to know a little more. I was a city councilman in Macon, Georgia. In Macon, Georgia, there are two neighborhoods. One is called Shirley Hills. It is a prosperous white neighborhood of mansions. The other is called Pleasant Hill. Pleasant Hill was a middle to upper income black neighborhood. You have heard of some of the people who live in Pleasant Hill. You have probably never heard of people who lived in Shirley Hills. I don't care where you are in North America. You probably know the name Otis Redding. You probably know the name James Brown. Black musicians who came out of Pleasant Hill in Macon, Georgia. In the 1950s, the Georgia Department of Transportation was building I-75 out of Atlanta, south to Florida. And it came to Macon, Georgia. And there was a discussion as to where they should lay the road. And the white neighborhood and the white commissioners and the white planners could have placed the road to navigate around Shirley Hills and Pleasant Hill. They could have done that. Instead, they chose to bulldoze right through the middle of Pleasant Hill and break up the increasingly prosperous black community. It was a decision that was completely, totally based, I shouldn't say totally, but overwhelmingly based on racial issues. To destroy the neighborhood of James Brown and Otis Redding, divided right down the middle. And to this day, Macon, Georgia has racial issues because of the scar that is I-75 and the way it runs. That's just truth. You may not like it, but it's true. There's a house called the Half House. When I was a city council, wanted to save it. Um, it, it never, never was saved. It's called the Half House because the Department of Transportation bulldozed half the house. It was a black family's house. They needed half of the house for the right-of-way. So they bulldozed, cut down half of the house, patched up the open, gaping wound of the house, returned it to the family, and didn't compensate them because they didn't take the house. There was no taking. That house was there for a long time, lived in. That happened. We should not deny that there were transportation decisions in this country based on racial motives. 
There's a problem, though. In postmodernism, as I've told you, the exceptions become the rule. It is the exception that our transportation decisions in this country were based on race. Overwhelmingly, when you look at a lot of these issues, it's based on land cost. And those land costs are indirectly related to, are they well-to-do communities or poor communities? If they're poor communities, they tend to, particularly in the South, be overwhelmingly minority communities. But it has nothing actually to do with race. It has to do with the Constitution requires and the takings clause a fair market reimbursement to the people whose land is taken. And the land is cheaper in poor areas. And so that's where the interstate went to save money. But what Pete Buttigieg and the left are doing is they're taking the exception, transportation decisions made on racial issues, and making that the rule that all of your roads and bridges are racist because a few of them were. And they will revise history accordingly, and we should not let them do that. They've decided they want transportation equity, which is redistributionist nonsense. They essentially are taking socialism and they're calling it equity. When you hear equity, they're talking about socialism. They want to forcibly take from some and give to others. They don't want to make people equal. They want to intentionally, willfully elevate some through government policy over others and claim that, well, we're just righting the wrong. Except to claim they're righting that wrong, they have to revise American history into something it never was. They have to make the exception the rule. Your bridges are not racist, nor are your roads. And to the extent they were, there are exceptions like the half house where families were never fairly compensated. But in most cases, they were compensated. But the left continues to wring their hands and claim racism about everything in this country because it's all they know at this point. I say often, I don't know what the Republican Party stands for anymore. I was an elected Republican. And I don't really know what the Republican Party stands for anymore other than we're not the Democrats. The problem is that the only thing the Democrats stand for these days is anything they don't like is racist. Most things, the overwhelming majority of things are not racist. But to the Democrats, everything is unless they like it. And the American public has a real hard time embracing the Democratic Party's idea that everything is racist, and they're responding accordingly at the ballot box. Holiday seasons are upon us, and you got to start thinking about gifts, particularly now with all the supply chain nonsense out there. You want to get a good gift. You want to get a thoughtful gift. And did you know we spend a third of our lives in bed? So pure organic cotton sheets from Bowl & Branch make a truly special gift. They make the highest quality sheets by doing things the right way, not the easy way. My wife, by the way, loves Bowl & Branch sheets. She really does. So I got to tell you, they're comfortable. The sheets, they fit perfectly. The fitted sheets are great. They're not going to shrink. In fact, they're going to get softer over time. I can tell you because we sleep under them. It's a husband and wife team, Scott and Missy Tannen. They founded Bowl and Branch to create a new standard in bedding by doing things the right way. Again, they don't do the easy way. They do the right way. They've got high thread count, premium cotton, and it gets so soft. 
Treat yourself and your loved ones to the new standard embedding from Bowling Branch. Their gifts come wrapped and ready in their special holiday packaging. If you order by December 19th, you get guaranteed delivery by Christmas. The best deals of the year are going now from November 18th to November 22nd with promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolinBranch.com. That's B-O-L-L and Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K. Exclusions may apply. Hi there, it is Eric Erickson. Uh, those of you who are on the phone, stand by. I want to take all of your phone calls uh, when we come back in the next segment. This one's kind of short, uh, and some of you have been waiting a while. I want to do justice to your phone call when we come back. I got to, uh, it, it, this is just fascinating coverage as this Rittenhouse trial comes to an end here shortly. The media is beginning to complain about the judge's interference in the prosecution's trial, essentially trying to claim that the judge interfered with the prosecutor. They're clearly, the media clearly knows how this is headed uh, because the prosecutor is fairly well an idiot and they, they all found Kyle Rittenhouse guilty in their coverage when it first happened. Kyle Rittenhouse, you will recall, went to Kenosha, Wisconsin to help uh, stop the rioting as a, a volunteer, if you will, and wound up uh, killing some folks, but they had pulled their guns and were trying to kill him. In fact, one of the, the witnesses testified the other day that he had pulled his gun and pointed it at Kyle Rittenhouse first. And now the 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 the, law, the prosecutor is one of those poindextery liberal types who clearly knows nothing about ballistics. Just listen to this brief exchange. Hollow point bullets are designed to hit the animal that they're being shot at, let's say a deer, for example, and explode inside that body, correct? No, I don't I don't think so. This is the judge now talking. When you say explode, are you saying expand or explode? Because there are such things as exploding bullets. Sure. Let me let me rephrase. Mr. Rittenhouse, what is your understanding of what a hollow point bullet would do if it were shot at, say, a deer? I, I don't think people use hollow point. For those of you who don't know anything about hunting, no, I've never hunted deer. Never hunted. I know enough to know you do not use hollow point bullets when you hunt deer because they will fragment and you'll have pieces of lead all over inside the deer, particularly if you want the meat. Um, and I, I'm, um, what, wow, this, it hurts my head. And what's so fascinating truly here is that the damage, uh, I mean, the, the media is out attacking the judge, uh, very rapidly attacking the judge. CNN is claiming that, uh, there was media bias in Kyle. Rittenhouse. Think about this. The CNN is claiming there was media bias in Kyle Rittenhouse's favor, and now they're attacking the judge, saying the judge interfered too much. Here's a tweet from the Washington Post. As Kyle Rittenhouse trial nears in, judges' decisions from the bench come under scrutiny. Um, it, it's, it's fascinating, is it not, how the left is suddenly in favor of the prosecutors? Is it, isn't it fascinating to you how, how they're, they're pro-law enforcement now? They are they are team they are team prosecutor for the first time. Um my goodness gracious. I just uh, wow. Uh and the prosecutor 
the prosecutor is genuinely, genuinely provoking this trial in this matter. Um, I, I don't have enough time here to, to, to play this one for you. But when we come back, I got to play this audio for you because the judge is livid with the prosecutor because the prosecutor tried to make a big deal out of Kyle Rittenhouse, possibly using his Fifth Amendment, uh, which you can't do. That's like criminal law 101. Hi there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Waiting very patiently is Pierce. Thanks for hanging out waiting, Pierce. Welcome to the program. Hey, Eric. Thanks for taking my call. You know, we're sure. talking about energy and renewable sources. Every waste, ma- waste treatment plant, landfill, they have these eternal flames of methane gas just being burned off. Couldn't we use that to generate power? You know, uh, Um, Cap County has a landfill where they're Mm -hmm. using and processing it and using it in their garbage trucks to power. Yeah, you know, you would think that we would think about that. Uh, So down in Macon, uh, there's a Cherokee brick and tile. They're one of the larger brick manufacturers in the southeast, and their facility is at the Macon landfill, and they use the methane coming out of the landfill to uh, fire the the furnaces for the bricks. Yeah, Uh, you would think there's a lot of energy sources. You know, and, and and it's a it's a it's a energy source that you don't have to frack for it, you don't mm-hmm. have to dig for it. All you got to do is set up the pipes for it and pump it off. It's ridiculous. Yeah, right it, at it, our it, fingertips. It seems like we could be doing something. Uh, I, my guess is that methane doesn't burn as hot as propane, doesn't burn as hot as butane, if I remember my science right. Um, th- that I I don't. But I mean, if it's hot enough to to fire up a kiln for kiln for bricks or to fuel oh, vehicles. Yeah. It just seems like it makes some sense that there's an untapped fuel source. Oh, of course, nowadays, you know, there's, yeah, and there's that entire media campaign against methane now. Yeah, well, that's because it's the oil refineries. They, they focus on the oil refinery, but they're not saying anything about the landfills and yep. waste. Well, and, and you know, plant. so Pierce, Charlie is is uh, <laughs> sending me a note down the line as you and I are talking that we had on a guy, Brandon Butler, a while back, and his company traps the methane, captures the methane on pig farms, and pumps it into the natural gas pipelines. Um, yeah. So I guess there's some. Te- I mean, it, it's so abundantly available, and if you release it, it's so bad for the environment. I don't know why we aren't so going into methane. Why capture. can't we use it? Well, so you That's know stupid. my suspicion in this, uh, because okay. it would fire up the economy and create more energy, and the communists who are now the environmentalists really don't want us to do that. Yeah, they don't want us to have cheap fuel. Nope, they, they don't, um, because capitalism, you know, is bad. And, and all these environmentalists who are advocating shutting us down, they were all communists until the Soviet Union stopped paying them. Man, That's I sound true. like my dad all of a sudden, but it's true. <laughs> But, you know, that's, that's, you know, the environmentalist, it's what gets me is they're so worried about some species becoming extinct, but yet they're evolutionists. But don't you need species to become extinct to get the better species? Well, yeah, that and, and you would think we'd be capable of adapting <laughs> as well. Yes, of course. Yeah, but nope. They, they don't, we've they don't got technology far. to do this, but somebody doesn't want it available and used. That's all. Yeah, that's. Just, I'm glad you called in, and, and thanks again. I, I know you had to wait on the phone a long time, but I'm I'm really glad you did because it, it really is a great point. And there are landfills around the country where people are capturing that methane. I, I don't understand yep. why there's not. I, I'm sure there's some smart person out there Cap listening. County. 
who might have an explanation. Cap County, Georgia's doing it. That's yep. our landfill. Okay, so while, while you're here, Pierce, I, I got to tell you, my my sister and brother-in-law used to live in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and there's a water uh-huh. park there called Mount Trashmore, and it is built <laughs> on reclaimed land that was a landfill. And some wow. radio DJs up in Virginia Beach lost their job. This has been years ago now because they claimed a methane leak had sprung up at Mount Trashmore and the whole thing was in oh, danger no. of exploding and it caused a mild panic in the city. <laughs> <laughs> That's a yeah. good one. Mount well, you Trashmore. know, there was a there's an area there was an area in Cumming, Georgia called the Ridge. And it was a lot of it was apartments and uh, some cheap housing that they started started having people getting sick, and they started testing the air, and it was radon and methane. And come huh. to find out, it was the old landfill from the from the 1800s when Cumming was first developed. And they 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 had to tear everything down, and now it's just uh, it's actually been converted into a uh, uh, into industrial stuff. Wow! But they were but they had to take the housing out. But it was pretty that was pretty funny. Good grief. So, Wow. Well, listen, I, I appreciate the phone call a ton, Pierce. Thank you. That was great. And, you know, I mean, if one of you listening is is a, a, a smart scientist who understands why we're not capturing more methane and reusing it, I, I'm, I actually do have a question about that. I'm, I'm very, very interested in it. Um, all right. I want to go back to the phones. Michael, you're going to be up next on the show. Welcome. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, so I just wanted to... I just wanted to circle back to, um, you know, reading the tea leaves, maybe turning blue principles and what Republicans stand for. So former Governor Zell Miller's grandson, um, Brian Miller, actually announced a run for lieutenant governor um, as a Democrat. <clears throat> and I worked with him quite a bit on a uh, uh, former representative Stephen Allison's campaign, who was a conservative Republican, uh, mm-hmm. although he, you know, broke his promise to Townsend Union County to um get a multi-man board of commissioners uh, put through legislation because Senator Butterworth was all for it at the time, but right. I digress. Um, what are your thoughts on um, on that development? And I didn't know if you were aware of that. Yeah, I, I am. And it's intriguing because, uh, you know, the Democrats are attacking Brian Miller. For those of you not familiar with this, you know, Zell Miller was the longtime governor of Georgia, gave the uh, Hope Scholarship, created the Hope Scholarship. He became a U.S. senator as a Democrat, supported George W. Bush and spoke at Bush's um, convention in 2004, supported him as a, as a cross-party member. And Brian Miller is grandson. I don't know. I've got uh, friends of mine who know him well. And he has supported Republicans and he has supported uh, Democrats. So, for example, he was the campaign manager for my friend Congressman Doug Collins in 2012, Republican. Uh, He supported a number of Republicans around the state. And that actually is probably why he won't win the Democratic primary, because he has been too bipartisan as a Democrat. Uh, And the progressive Democrats of the state are upset. And Stacey Abrams herself is opposed to him and essentially the what the democrats in georgia want to do now stacy abrams controls stacy abrams is lining up chess pieces on a board she's telling candidates what they can and cannot run for there was one candidate who intended to run for lieutenant governor it was a state senator and she told him you weren't allowed to he had to run for something else statewide so he is i think for ag commissioner or some such um and she is not blessing brian miller because he's too bipartisan Maybe he can use that against her. We will see. Uh, now, I, I got to play you some audio from the Rittenhouse trial because this stuff is developing. It's somewhat bizarre. I want to play you a couple of clips here. This is now the prosecutor 
questioning Kyle Rittenhouse using an AR-15. Listen to why this, this the prosecutor, I got to tell you, comes across as a liberal dweeb who doesn't actually know anything outside of progressive circles. Uh, some of the questions that he's asking are quite bizarre. Listen to this. You picked it up. Oh, well, let me rearrange my audio here. I took it out of the feed so it didn't come down the line earlier. Here we go. This is the prosecutor. You picked it up because it looked cool. I thought it looked cool. Yes, it, that's the reason, yes. It resembled the types of weapons that are used in first-person shooter video games, correct? I don't really play first-person shooter video games. I have, but I believe there's a variety of guns, including shotguns, pistols. It there's guns in video games that resemble all guns. Isn't it true when you would hang out at, with Dominic Black, you'd play Call of Duty and other first-person shooter video games? Sometimes. And those are games in which you use weapons like AR-15s to pretty much shoot anybody who comes at you, correct? It's a video game where two players are playing together. I don't really understand the meaning of your question, to be honest. Isn't yeah. One of the things people do in these video games, try and kill everyone else with your guns. Yeah, in the video game, it's just a video game. It's not real life. <laughs> wow. Only uh, only a progressive prosecutor would go there. Well, the judge had enough of the prosecution, uh, and now the media is crying foul on the judge for daring to rein in the prosecution. Listen to this bit. Provoke a mistrial on this matter. He knows he can't go into this, and he's asking the questions. I asked the court to strongly admonish him, and the next time it happens, I'll be asking for a mistrial with prejudice. He's an experienced attorney, and he knows better. That's Kyle Rittenhouse's lawyer. Mr. Finger? This is the judge. First of all, Your Honor, now, this was the subject of a motion. I'm well aware of that. And the court left the door open. This for me, not for you. My understanding of You your should have come and asked. For, uh, for reconsideration, you did on the one motion, and in fact, I granted your motion for reconsideration. That was excuse not our motion. I, I, I uh, not uh, excuse me, I, uh, I did, I granted. We did not move that for reconsideration. That was their motion. I, I, we have not filed any me. motions to reconsider in this case. That was their motion for reconsideration, which I denied. But uh, I said, I denied it, or I indicated a bias towards denial is what I did. Held it open with a bias towards denial. Why would you think that that made it okay for you without any advance notice to bring this matter before the jury? You are already, you were, I, I was astonished when you began your examination by commenting on the defendant's post-arrest silence. That's basic law. It's been basic law in this country for 40 years, 50 years. I have no idea why you would do something like that. And it gives, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> what he was getting at is it leaves open a mistrial. Kyle Rittenhouse refused to speak. He refused to speak after the police arrested him. He exerted his Fifth Amendment rights pending a lawyer. And the prosecutor, in beginning his questioning of Kyle Rittenhouse, in front of the jury, commented on his exercise of his Fifth Amendment rights. Y'all, 
criminal law was my worst grade in law school. I hated criminal law. To this day, I despise criminal law. I never wanted to be a criminal lawyer, and I wound up having to be one because the county where I was a lawyer required that you do criminal law. God help you if you got me as your lawyer. I I, I, I did my best. I never went to trial. Everybody I represented was really guilty, and they knew it, so they always pled anyway. But I, I hated criminal I do not like criminal law. I know enough about criminal law to be dangerous with criminal law, but I don't like criminal law. But I was really good at constitutional law. Constitutional law was my highest grade in law school. I got a 98 on a curb with with constitutional law. It was my highest grade in law school. I loved constitutional law. To this day, I love constitutional law. I read opinions of the Supreme Court that are constitutionally significant because I'm fascinated by the topic. And it is well-settled constitutional law going back to the 1960s. You do not comment in trial about someone's exercise of their Fifth Amendment. You do not comment on it, period, end of story. You, you don't even raise the speculation of it. If you're a prosecutor, you know this. Yes, I do vaguely remember us discussing this in criminal law. Now, I took criminal procedure as well, and I was better at criminal procedure than the overall criminal law. Criminal law is very theoretical. And I didn't like it, but my gosh, anyone who's ever come out of law school knows you cannot ask about someone taking the Fifth Amendment. You can get a mistrial very easily when you do that. And that's, that's where the judge is headed with this, getting a mistrial here. It was quite bizarre. I, I just, I, I don't understand where this, where, where the, the lawyers think that it was smart, where the prosecutor thinks he can do this. You can't get away with this as a prosecutor. You simply cannot get away with it as a prosecutor. Holy moly, I cannot believe that, that this guy did this and the judges called him out on it. Wow. Okay, uh, now we got another caller on the on the method. I'm intrigued now. I'm getting emails as well that I want to look at when we go into, into break. But Michael, I've got the smartest callers. Michael, don't disappoint me. Let's use your brain. What's going on? All right. Hey, Eric, how are you today? Great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I've got just a few minutes. I got a couple comments. Uh, I'm in the prior generation business, have been in it, in the Atlanta market for uh, yeah, about 35 years, and I've done a ton of biogas uh, distributed generation. There's a couple really big issues with methane biogases, either digester gas from the wastewater treatment process or uh, landfill gas from, you know, recovering landfill. Um, the gas, both those gases have a very low methane content. They're, and, you know, methane is the, is the thing that actually burns and can produce electricity. Right. Uh, and they also have a ton of nasty stuff in them. Um, they have, uh, you can imagine rotting trash um, is going to generate some pretty interesting gas. But it's it's very expensive and and very complex process to filter out the nasties in digester gas and and uh, landfill gas so that you can combust it or burn it in a reciprocating engine and make power with it. Now it's 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 not it's a it's a developed technology. It's it's doable and specifically the DeKalb County landfill that your earlier caller was talking about. Uh, I provided the natural gas engines for the other plant there 
where they recover the landfill gas and they make power, they sell that power back to Georgia Power under a, under a contract arrangement for, for about $0.12 cents a kilowatt hour. And um, they get a lot of good tax incentives that dated back. You, you pay at your house probably about 3 or $0.04 cents a kilowatt hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can sign up to pay more on Georgia Power's Green Energy Program. <laughs> if you're if you're if you, if you strongly feel about that and you want to pay for it, they they actually offer a green energy program on for residential service, and you 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 pay a premium because it costs a premium. Mm-hmm. So the other issue is that there's not you know the demand for energy in this country is massive, and there's just not enough biogas available. Uh, the well the well we need sources, to do what you need to do that are Michael. viable. I, 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 I got to yeah. leave you there because I, I'm out of time here in the segment. But what you need to do, Michael, and, and you should pledge in your conscience to do this, is you need to go install one of these on Capitol Hill because there is a lot of biogas underneath the, the Capitol <laughs> Dome. I, I mean, we, we could probably solve America's uh, energy problems if you did that. It's all your fault. No, I'll, I'll look into that, Eric, man. Thanks. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you very much, Michael. Good to hear from you. See, I got the smartest callers in America on a good day. Uh, y'all don't. Y'all talk to Zebulon about the about the bad callers. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. If stand by on the phones. This is a short segment because I ran long talking about all the, the biogas that comes out of Washington, D.C. <laughs> it's true. I mean, if we could capture all of that hot air, we could we could fuel the whole planet with energy. All right. When we come back, I do want to take your phone calls. 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. And also, I'm going to dare to move in to this controversy, the controversy of daylight saving time. Yeah, stand by. But right now, I got to tell you, I if you haven't ordered the Ericsson package at Omaha Steaks, I really did put this one together. They reached out to me and said, listen, we know you're a customer. You really are, and, and you order stuff. What do you order? Let's put it in a package for your listeners. And so I, you can't get this from any other talk show in America. You, you got to get mine, the Eric Erickson package. I custom designed this package with Omaha Steaks because it really is the stuff I order from them. If you put Eric in the search bar at omahasteaks.com, you will see the Erickson family favorites. It's a, We get a spatchcock chicken. Uh, that is a chicken with the backbone already cut out. It's flattened. You put it on the smoker or the grill, the oven. You like roast chicken. This one makes it really good. I need to put up a, a roast chicken recipe for this, as come to think of it. Uh, and you get the bacon wrap fillets that I actually had yesterday. Thaw them out, put them on the grill. They're fantastic. Easy to cook, and man, are they tasty. And you'll get a whole slew of burgers for free with this as well. You go to omahasteaks.com, and you put Eric in the search bar. You get free burgers. You get a spatchcock chicken. You get the bacon wrap fillets. You get a whole lot more. You really get what me and my family get from Omaha Steaks. Put Eric in the search bar at omahasteaks.com. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution. If you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business, First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. 
They say yes, where big banks say no. It's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan. Say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 